What's good? Mind Bully Podcast, Norris Odiase. A podcast focused on beating the hell out of your negative voice. It is I, oh. Hey, sweet boy, fine boy, and you too. Yeah, yeah beautiful, Sha. Beautiful, Sha means you're beautiful. Don't you understand? But anyways, thank you for being here with me. If this is your first time listening to the Mind Bully Podcast. Um, hello. Stick around. I think, actually, I know. What we do here and what we showcase here, these stories, whether you're an athlete, someone working in corporate, someone working your quote unquote regular job, overcoming that negative voice, trying to pull you under, pull you down while you're trying to climb and climb that ladder where you want to go. I think that this podcast does a great job of showcasing that and really letting you know that you're not alone in that journey. You know, that self-talk tape that you have in your head, you can overcome that one by knowing other people are working to do so as well. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Let's get into this week's episode. Wait, rate and review and subscribe. Now let's get into this week's episode. This week's episode, man, I am honestly so excited about this and so blessed. I don't know why I got into my little grown and sexy voice, but I think usually when I do these intros for guests. I have this kind of script that it's really telltale and it tells their story and it's really good calculated all this stuff. But for this one, I wanted to do it different because my guest, Miss Kristen Johnson is kind of different as well. Her flow, her mind works differently. And I'm so excited to showcase her story. She's an educator, but just not your regular educator. She's gone viral on TikTok with her tactics of how she educates her kids, whether it's rapping, whether it's motivational Mondays, just pouring into the kids where they need it, where they actually see fit, where they respond to that type of teaching. I'm so excited. Her story is so powerful from overcoming childhood trauma to overcoming depression, to stepping and walking in her purpose, knowing that. Jesus has brought her to this point, leaning on Jesus for the next step, leaning on Jesus for the next move in her career. Man, it's it's such a powerful story. And I can't wait for you to listen to it. Because I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm always nervous. Since when? I didn't, I've never known you to be nervous. I don't tell Christine. people I'm nervous, but I'll be nervous. No, I think. It's it's going to be good because this you are someone I wanted you on this podcast for a while. Literally, as we're speaking here, let me go ahead and say, welcome to the Mind Billy podcast, Christina Johnson. I'm so excited. I broke my left finger, so I couldn't really clap. So that's why I'm chest clapping. <laughs> but literally everything I just said is the truth and more so like you're so energetic. You have an infectious spirit, just the life that you bring to everyday life. You're an educator, a trailblazer, a trendsetter. And I'm, again, I'm grateful to have Miss Kristen Johnson on the podcast. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Now, you know what's funny? When you did send out and fill out that form, I was like, oh yeah, she's like, literally she did come up with the logo for this podcast. Yeah, it's did. crazy that I forgot. Like, Jordan, but yeah. if you're listening over a year ago, I had an idea, obviously, Mind Bully Podcast, but I was like, what should it look like? Literally, Kristen was like, okay, I have an idea. And she kind of like drafted this idea that ended up to be this logo. So again, another thank you. I'm going to start thanking you. But how I usually start these episodes, I usually start them at childhood um, to tell that story. But for this very episode, for this very podcast and this conversation with you, 
Uh, I wanted to tell a different story. Um, I was on your Instagram and you posted something heavy and, and something deep that I think it really caught me. And when something caught catches me, I don't care what format I used to do. Like, this is how I'll start. And it's this picture of you um, with a pill bottle, an empty kind of pill bottle. And it says, transparent moment. I used to keep these just in case I ever wanted to unalive myself. It was the easiest way out for me. It wouldn't be too traumatic. I was going to leave a note on my door to call the police because I was gone. God is so good that I thought I flushed them. But today they were a beautiful reminder this morning of how far he's brought me. I pray right now for the depressed mind, for the one struggling to find their way, for the one drowning in darkness. I want you to know that God has delivered me from those thoughts and his love has brought me so much freedom. When I literally read something like that, one, it's so powerful to share a testimony because the next person knows that, okay, it's possible. It's possible. She actually knows how I feel in this moment. So that was huge for me to listen to that. But when I read that, it gives me kind of an image in my head, a picture that represents what you might have been going through. Like I have my version in my head, but feeling like you wanted to unalive yourself that feeling in those moments kind of walk me through everything that led up to that. Okay. All right. We're going in. Let me take a breath. Um, I would say, honestly, like the feelings that I dealt with, with just depression and suicidal thoughts really stemmed from when I was a child, probably like 10 years old was when I first was like, "Mm, maybe I shouldn't be here or, I began to really strongly question my existence. And um, I grew up kind of in a dysfunctional. My parents, like, it was a lot of dysfunction between the two of them, um, just based on them being young and the decisions that they had made. I don't want to go into, I'm not here to, like, bash anybody in my story because they're my dogs, you know, my parents. But um, just that feeling of, isolation and like just kind of feeling like I wasn't enough and um I know it's been two like pivotal moments that have gotten really dark and it was what I posted and then it was one time before right after I graduated high school like that year after and so I know now that sometimes it's rooted in transitions it's rooted in letting things go is rooted in change, is rooted in not feeling like I'm worthy of the change or worthy of those things. Um, And recently, it just, I was in a car accident um, and I developed post-concussive syndrome and it caused like a, that was 2019, like a down spiral for me mentally. Um, and emotionally, just with the things going on with my brain, I was actually diagnosed with depression for the first time. I was diagnosed with anxiety. Um, and it was rough. It was it's very dark and it's very. Like, it's even difficult to talk about because. It's like, especially I know it's hard for me to talk about because it's not a side of myself I ever showed the world or show everyone, or, I mean, I knew people probably knew that I was struggling, but 
the extent. Um, I'm not sure. I don't even think I knew the extent of how bad I was struggling until I seen that. And those pills were actually given to me um, for cramps. <laughs> and I just collected them over time. Like somebody had gave me like a stronger drug. And like when I looked them up, I was like, oh, well, I could always do this with this. And so I just had it. And part of the reason why I had a roommate when I first moved back to Texas is because I knew that I was not mentally in a place to like live by myself, even though I wanted to be by myself. Like it gave me an accountability because I'm such a caring person. Like I never wanted my roommate to pull up on me in that way. So it just gave me a level of accountability. But just when you have unresolved trauma and things that you've been through or that you've experienced, um, it can leave you stuck. And it's like, I grew emotionally paralyzed. I was either in like fight or flight and even seasons where I was succeeding, I still had moments of functional depression or I was dealing with functional depression. And that's when, you know, you're doing everything on the outside, but the inside is just like chaotic and it's very dark. And what were, what were some of those times? Um, one, just thank you for, for sharing everything that you have so candidly and openly like you have. I think, I mean, it's powerful to kind of get to a place where, you know, hindsight, remembering how you felt, why you felt that way and kind of how and the root of those issues. But if you can take me to a time, you know, you talked on uh, traumatic events that happened and unpacking those. But before you were able to even unpack what happened, how you felt, in that actual trauma, what was that like? I never really unpacked my trauma <laughs> because I never wanted to be a victim. It's something that I'm working on deliberately now uh, with God. God is definitely the source of that and just kind of forcing me into this season because I knew I couldn't go forward and be who he called me to be holding the things, some of the things that had happened to me, like um, this, you know, daddy issues. Growing up, single mom, which could cause economic stress and economic anxieties and issues, um, childhood sexual abuse, sexual assault as an adult, just very toxic relationships, which I won't say like rooted in them or like me is just toxic and toxic is going to produce toxic if you got two unhealed individuals like trauma bonding. So I give no, I just want to say now like, I'm never going to be the type of person to like bash people on a podcast or go that deep into the experience because I really don't blame the person. Um, no, I totally, I totally agree. And, and, and thank you for kind of shedding light to that. And again, this is a platform to showcase your story and why you think and how you've got to this place that you are now. Um, I asked that because um, myself, um, at that age, at an early age, I was sexually assaulted by older women in my life. and kind of the story that I was telling myself because of that is I'm insignificant. Obviously I'm the sweet one. Like I'm the one that they picked out of everybody to keep doing it over and over. And it kind of gave me this mindset of, I got to work to prove my worth. Speaking of your story and your situation, kind of what were the symptoms of feeling the way that you did? And like, how did you try to combat that feeling? People pleasing, ignoring my own emotions. I deal with a, I deal with a lot of self sabotage, uh, 
You're smiling when you say that. What is? What is? No, because I'm I'm smiling because I can name it. It shows that I'm doing the work. So that's why. No, I'm, I'm saying like, what when you say self sabotage. What do you do when you self sabotage in a relationship? I push people away really bad. Um, I just if I peep or perceive certain things. Now I know they could be false. They could be illusions. They could be real. Um, things that cause certain a stir of emotions in me, it'll make me retreat. And I just fall back and I'm just emotionally detached, uh, which could be odd because I'm also very loving and I still want to see everybody be successful, but I just am detached. And emotionally unavailable is kind of a, a small category, I feel, of women that actually fall where I land, where I landed with my trauma and how I navigated through it. And it's, it's, uh, it gets to a point where you get exhausted with performing and exhausted with the mask and exhausted with everybody telling you what the, they think you should do or telling you who they think you are. And that's a, another thing. Like I had, I grew up in a church. So like, I was probably like five or six the first time they're like, oh, she's called, she's talented, she's special. I was also five or six when I started to be sexually abused and when I got saved. So, and when I found out like my dad, my father, whom I thought was my dad was not my dad. So I was introduced to my biological father all in this same like era. And I was wilding out like in school, just emotionally like, and I just felt so like confused and so like, and I being the type of person, even as a child, I could sense like emotions and I could sense deep feelings and I can kind of perceive that because you learn how to do that in trauma. You learn how to look around you to see what's safe or to read people to see, are they safe? Are they angry? Are they upset? Are they going to, you know, how are they going to react? And I began to take on the emotions of people and the way they felt about me. Like whether it be my parents or whether it be unspoken emotions, family, whatever, like. But what did that look like? Because now I see this brave, obviously confident, unapologetic girl that you've went on to be not only from my time knowing you in high school and, and early on, but now with your professional career, everything that you're doing, you're this unapologetic figure. You're saying how you feel. You're showcasing you're a leader in everything that you're doing now. What did that look like at that age when you have those certain things? How was Kristen in that time, like the behaviors that kind of came from everything that you went through? I think that's that's where the tough girl persona developed, like completely. Um, just the guarded girl, like I was angry. Um, I had a lot of rage. I used to like to like, not all the time, but like, I just became very like, I just pushed everybody away, even as a child, like even as a teenager, like I, I, I could go and do and perform and do grand things. But I think I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned in some of those seasons, I definitely was still doing what God called me to do. But I was doing it out of spite, like I was grinding out of survival. And a lot of people don't know what that feels like to have to push and propel yourself forward out of survival because I know if I don't get out of this, I never will get out of this. If I don't move past this, like 
I never will. If I don't let go of what I cannot control and what's out of my control, which even in some instances, you have to look at your trauma that way. It wasn't my fault. So I have to let it go. And when from a spiritual side, the enemy knows who we are as well. So that's something that was used to toy and play with my mind. You know, like your your dad didn't love you. So who will, you know, or, you know, your parents couldn't get it right. So you'll never get it right. And, you know, oh, well, maybe you didn't do this right. You didn't do X, Y, Z right. You dropped the ball here. So it, you can't possibly be who all these people think that you are. Like, I didn't see myself the way that everybody else saw me. I didn't. I didn't view myself in a way and that would make me act out and behaviors that were totally opposite of who I am, but also I feel evidence of what I've been through. So like I don't run from any of those things or duck any of the past or any of the the things that I feel like people may try to say about me or say how I was because that it was exactly how I was. I probably was me. I probably was short with you and not mean, but just like very guarded, very protected. So a lot of people don't understand my personality in some instances when they meet me and I'm growing out of that now. It's like you either see the light or you don't. You describe your your childhood as intentional. When when you say intentional, I would think you're meaning um, to that intentionally putting on that persona, that tough girl, that tough persona was there anything else that you were looking at zeroing in on and and providing your kind of intention intentionality to do or act in a certain way other than just the the tough girl yeah i i had god in my life so it was weird it's like i was this loving girl that was learning yeah, two sides yeah, yeah like it's it really was like that it was two sides and really what it is i'm learning now it was the fact that i had no middle ground like it's either in or out. It's either that or that. And that's something that in my twenties that I'm learning to like outgrow and to heal from and to release. But I said intentional in the questions because I felt like everything I went through was very intentional for where I am now. Like I can speak at depression because I faced it. I can speak at these things and speak to people and relate in ways sometimes that people that have went to school or you know, spent life research or done time, you know, you can't get on the level of a person that has experienced that. So I've learned to be grateful for some of my traumas and things that I've endured because I know that though they might not have been a part of God's plan for me, he still used them in a way to make his plan better. I think that's beautiful, Kristen. And and honestly, it's because it's never it's never just about what happens to you, because so many people come from troubled backgrounds and tough stories. And yours is, you know, really rich in in all the things that you've been through. But it's really our interpretation of what happens and, and why that matters and how you can contribute and share your knowledge and your love and everything that you've been through to, you know, help somebody else out. So I think that's, you know, truly beneficial experience as we move forward in your story there to, to what you're doing now, but to go back to that big move, um, I think in seventh grade, you moved to Texas from a Detroit, you're kind of a little girl leaving behind everything that she's known to move to this different city. I guess, what did that move cost that little girl in that time? I feel like I was so angry. 
and everything I knew to be safe and normal was snatched. Um, and it was with good reason, with good intention, like, you know, but it was rough because Texas and Detroit are very different, (laughs) (laughs) very, very different. And when I first, when we first got here, we went to a school that it was only like six black kids in my whole sixth grade class. So it was extremely racist and it was extremely prejudiced. And we fought a lot. Like I fought with my hands that year. I fought with my brain that year, like coming out on the top with the highest test scores in the school, all my siblings, like as a final, like, (laughs) I don't want to say that, but to the, you know, the system and how they wanted to view us. And I had to fight, you know, teachers because even back then I was challenging the system, teaching y'all like, y'all do not have to call these people, ma'am. Like, it's just certain things that they were demanding of certain demographics that where I came from, it was unacceptable. Where I came from, those were terms of endearment and respect. And I, you, you didn't deserve my respect. And even as a kid, it's like being that voice. Like I grew my anger or how I kind of felt. I feel like when the two meshed, when heart meets that aggressive Kristen, it just creates like kind of like a Nasada Shakur vibe but led by God, like, I'm going to speak for my people. I'm going to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. I'm going to speak on things that are uncomfortable because that's where people grow. And that's what people need to see. They don't need to see another IG model. They don't need to see another teacher just posting the same trivial things. Like that's one thing about everything that I do. I I never really plan it and I'm getting better at that. It's always unplanned. It's always God telling me like, okay, I need you to do this today. Today, I want you to pray on TikTok. Today, I want you to post that. What I posted on Instagram, I probably I'm in a season where I never would have shared that because I don't like the attention that comes from me. But how did you go from the mindset of everything I've known was snatched from me and I moved to Texas ill? Like if with all the white folk, I'm not this, not my people to, you know, changing and challenging the system. On one hand, you have this mindset of, man, I ain't I ain't rocking with none of this. I'm out. I'm not doing nothing to. okay, let me challenge the authorities that may be and that deem themselves over me. Like, how do you, the in-between, that middle ground that you spoke of, how did you get from that place to that place? I think it was like, that's when God more so was working. Because now I'm learning to integrate them that because that's who it should have always been. It didn't have to be two separate people. They can be combined to, and with God's, you know, with the renewing of the mind, that's the process now. That's the hardest part in the, the faith walk, honestly. But those were the moments that I really shine because it was a blend of my trauma and who that created me and also a blend of who I was created to be. And in those moments was when it's just like pure heart. That's when the, the energy I feel like you speak of, which I like to exist in. I like to exist there. And it's not something that I've always known how to navigate was the middle, but I just say that's where God pulled me back together. Like, literally like a little puzzle piece and that's like the safest place and it allows me to talk about things and like I, I I'm very transparent even in normal conversations like I don't really mind it but I also don't really overshare so it's, I know that's a gift because um just to provide people that comfort but it's some is one that I've had to learn how to navigate and I only really have learned and begin to truly learn is when I have to work that middle spot like that's what teaching is, is working that middle spot because 
you can't be too extreme of either. So you have to learn how to work the middle and how to be a little bit of both. Yeah. And it it just sounds like you're you're able to work that middle spot, like you said, and kind of turn that, you know, anger and channel it in a way using God, you know, uh, giving yourself to him, renewing the mind. But also when you got to Texas, finding community and different things that you did, like the JROTC program. Oh, yeah. In high school, that gave me because honestly, I hated Crowley ISD when I first came. I mean, I think everybody knows that I was not a fan of North Crowley, like even as a student there, even as a leader there. Like it was just weird to me because I came from a setting where people really didn't have much, like there wasn't much opportunity. And I was watching people just fumble it and play with it and and toy with it and want to be and manipulate. And I'm not going to say too much because I don't want to like, it's not a bash party. It just was different. It's not what I like. It's not the type of people I like to surround myself with. It wasn't, it wasn't my crowd. It wasn't my flow. And so it led me to be very uncomfortable. So when I found ROTC, it's like I found my crowd because it wasn't a nerdy ROTC program. Like for those that think that, like, you know, we were very, it's like the hood kids, kind of the ones that but were like turned up, like could lead the leaders, the ones that you didn't think would step outside the box were being used in that program. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't step outside the box, but literally everything else was so corny to me. So I don't know what else would have been that way for me. And not even corny. It's just like you had to fit into a certain mode to reach certain audiences or to have a seat at that those that table, even when we were in high school, which was so weird and so just odd on a high school level. But um, you had to do certain things. You had to be certain places. You had to party and, you know, exist in certain realms that I just wasn't in. And I'm glad my mom didn't allow me to. But ROTC gave me that seat at the table without having to, I feel like, lose my integrity. During adolescence, kind of 8 to 18, you're really impressionable, kind of the trying to fit in, especially if I'm behind the eyes of Kristen and that time I go to a different state. I'm trying to find a community, do different things, but you're like, nah, I'm solid. I'm going to stay on where I'm from because you guys don't act like no nobody I know and like it's corny to me. Do you think like... You know, usually I, I ask these questions and for me, myself, I was real, you know, doing the wrong things at times and, and, and kind of impressionable at that age. But do you think for your situation with finding GROTC, you were able to not change and, and kind of stay solid? No, absolutely. They definitely kept me solid. Like I still communicate with them. They still keep me solid. Like they gave straight game, like not game, but just how the world navigates, how it works. Like, you know, like I learned then because I held a position that is very rare. I know that now, like even th- when I was battalion commander, like kids across the country don't get the opportunity to wear those ranks or to be in some of those rooms and some. And that's how my life, if you read through the bio, I've always had opportunities to sit at these tables through work ethic. But really, I'm a sponge at these tables. Like people look at me and it's like, oh, Eric Thomas, he said something so good. He said, like, you want to make me great, which gives you an excuse. Like, so if you sit me at the table and you, you know, want to use my platform and what I've been through and, you know, pull me at the table in this way, but I'm a sponge. Like, so I need everybody at the table to be great. And I think that's the energy that I gave at North Crowley to others, even though I felt it was corny. Like, I always still wanted to edify. And that just kind of they taught me that, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't like something, change it. If you want to be respected, don't be around it. So, like, you can't party with people that you want to respect you. You can't 
So I was learning those lessons at 15, 16, 17 years old. Like, and well, you it, think that causes you to, to grow up fast because I get it and we get it now because that's what's beneficial as adults and that's what's going to make you successful in life and everything that you're doing. But as a kid, you're like, dang, like, like, can I just be a kid? Like, what do you think in hindsight that you might have lost out on having to have that mindset from your background, you move, you kind of have to be that way to kind of survive in your own head, in your own body. Like, what do you think that might have cost you? I think for me, I grew up very fast. Like I had a lot of responsibilities from like eight years old household, like just a lot of things. So I lost my childhood. Like, and it wasn't like my instructors, they just were refining who I already was because I was already odd out. I didn't fit in. Like, you know, so it wasn't like, I don't feel like they made me mature fast or the people that I met that mentored me in that way. They just seemed like, oh, wait, hold on. This is different. If you could go back in time and you could be like a kid again, is there something that you would have wished that you would have done that you didn't get to do? And that, okay, later on in life, you have kids, you have a family, you have like, do that. You want your kid to do that because you kind of didn't get. I feel like the only thing that, and I just crazy, me and my mom talked about this recently, was gymnastics. Ooh, we, because I was such a daredevil kid. Like I used to climb to the top of trees. I used to be able to do the bars, the ropes. And my mom, like she enrolled me, you know, and the only thing that that's the only thing that I ever grieved because we had to stop due to like finances. And that's what. And then by the time, like maybe I could have picked it back up. You're too old when like yeah, after not yeah. too old, but like to build the formation of like where I was heading, like it was like. Very, I was very impressive in the gym, and you know, and that's on one of the only things. But other than that, I feel like I still had a lot of opportunity. Like my mom exposed us. I was in that environment, but we did so many things. Like I danced in church. I went to the Boys and Girls Club, which we went on all these cool adventures. Like I went to museums. My mom sent us to a fine arts camp one summer. I played the violin. I played the flute. Like a well-refined hood rat. And it annoyed my mom. Like, my mom used to be like, why are y'all like this? Like, why do y'all want to fight? Because my mom is not a violent person, like, at all. And, like, but we grew up very differently. And that's what we're learning. And that's what therapy will take you through with your parents instead of, like, you know, we tried the trauma dumping thing, but that does nothing but cause anger and emotion. So you have to walk through these things and realizing when you're different than your parents and when you're raised differently. I think that's, that's, yeah, I ask that because you're so locked in and, and from that locked in point, like you said, at a JROTC, literally you had like 15 plus awards going on, even to college where you were the Thurgood Marshall president merit scholar. Then you had the student government associate president, two time as black and gold recipient. I think the things every time you're moving and you're moving forward, every time you put your hands on something, Miss Kristen Johnson, like you excel, you lead, you lead and you achieve, achieve, achieve. I think once you do have that ambition, I usually always say this ambition is the first thing. The next step is achievement and the achievements that you've already kind of gotten garnered. But if you were to unpack that, where does that like sheer just ambition come from? Because I know we talked about your background and everything you've been through, but there's so many people with similar backgrounds that aren't like that at all. So for you to have that 
kind of ambitious spirit of always, all right, push, 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 push. Where does that come from? I feel like in the past, it was motivated, like I said earlier, out of spite. Like, I was doing it like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show you. Like, I'm going to show you. Because I always was intelligent. Like, that's not nothing that grew with time. I always, and I thank God for that. Like, I've always had a mind outside of this world. So even though I was a terror in maybe my adolescent years and like some of those schools in Detroit, I also was well-loved. So I learned how to politic young. I learned, I sat in the principal's office. I could be in trouble for something and they got me stapling papers. Like, but I'm listening, but I'm paying attention, but I'm watching. And I talk a lot. I do talk a lot, but I listen and observe a lot. And I don't think people, sometimes I didn't even realize how the two work hand in hand, but a lot of those things that was God. And I'm going to tell you how, because when I first got to college, I wanted to run for, um, I wanted to run for Miss, Mrs. Bronze, which is like the Miss Freshman at the HBCU campus. And I missed the sign in, but now I didn't want to run. People were telling me that's what I should do because I was already vocal. I was like, me, me and Sid, like, you know, we just like, we, we just be vibing. We be around talking to people. Like, and that was great to have her with me. I must say, I must say that's one of the greatest things I think on both our journey and just having each other in those pivotal moments to like say like, okay, we can do this together, but back to the story. So that didn't work out. And then freshman class president came up and I won freshman class president. And that's when I determined like, we were in a meeting actually with the president of the university. It was a mass body meeting, like all the students and they were raining down. Like if you ever watched the HBCU, something on TV, when the students are upset, Hey, we'd be big mad. Like they were very upset, but the articulation was so off. And, but I was able to see the middle and I was able to stand up and communicate kind of as a mediator. And that got the attention of the student body with me being a freshman, as well as the attention of the president, which ended up solidifying both me and my sister's scholarship money to stay at school. Cause really I was sitting there using my voice with a $13,000 balance, not knowing how I actually was going to stay here. Like, just, wait, what was off? Like, what did you speak on that was off? It was just climate and culture and like conditions, you know, HBCU problems. And it comes from underfunding. Let me say that. It's not really at the fault of our institutions as you can go back historically, but things are evening. And I would say at Central, like I'm very proud of the work I did at that school, whether it's notarized. And I know the people that know, know like certain things are written in books, like we're in archives, places, things that I don't ever want to boast and brag on. But like, I thank God because in that moment, it showed me like, okay, you can make change here, real change. Like, and then that's when, like Miss Black and Gold, my mentor on HDA, Teresa, shout out to her. I'm going to send this to her. But she was like, you need to do Miss Black and Gold. And I'm like, you need to do Miss Black and Gold. Like a pageant for me, please. Please. <laughs> like people that knew me, like it's like, no, you can do that. Like, you know, and that's just, it didn't even go with my personality. I'm, I'm a tomboy even still. Like so the glitz, glamour, all of that. But as I was working through the process, I say all the time that experience well, I haven't said it in a while, but I will say now the experience of being Miss Black and Gold refined me as a woman. It taught me how to be ladylike. Like, swear, I, I mean, my, I went to things. My mom, I knew how to table settings. Like I said, I was exposed, but it showed me how I could utilize, which was my platform my freshman year, both beauty and strength to, you know, get success. And um, it was the first thing that I ever did that, 
being pretty mattered to me. Like I, I hated being pretty. I still do, not being pretty. Let me not say it like that, but like just some of the things that come with what society deems as, and I don't want to go too deep because I don't, my personality is not built on being pretty. Let me say that like at the least bit, but like society will try to force you to do that. And so it, it, it just changed my mind. In a lot of ways. And when I that two time came because I was the first freshman to win on my campus ever. And that just made it different. So when I went to compete on the next level, I technically won that pageant. But because I didn't have a GPA, I started 30 points behind everybody else. So like they announced the winners and like all the judges are coming apologizing to me. Like I'm crying like they're like, it's OK. You know, you can come back. Like and so the chapter voted for me to come back. That wasn't even. So when I went, but when I went to compete again, it, it taught me those seasons as well. Like when I went to compete the second time, I had just lost my grandmother going into my junior year. And so I didn't want to do anything. I was done with like being the, the campus hero. I was over it. I was grieving. I had had this great, like my sophomore year, like Ms. Black and Gold though, kept me from completely spiraling out though, because it's like I was partying a lot. I was after losing my grandmother and losing a mentor of mine who whom I met, had met at college and just other people like losses always kind of surrounded me. So I was just struggling. Like, I feel like I was having an identity crisis. It was the first time college where I was distancing myself from God and my junior year, like I had a mentor, but I was still active on SGI. I was a service learning Senator and Miss Black and Gold at the time. And when it came time for me to give up my crown, Everybody on campus thought that I was going to run for SGA president, which is unheard of because I was a junior. Like most people, you know, they run their senior year and I didn't. But people didn't know I had no intention. Like, but nobody ran. Because they thought that I was going to run. So it was so like my mentor and the current SGA president had to sit me down like, Kristen, we have no applications. Like, if you don't do this. There's nobody to do it. And a lot of people, even at Central, don't know that part of the story. It's not something that I wanted to do, but it's what God used. And that's also when I was selected as a Thurgood Marshall Scholar. And when we, I worked my first summer at the Colonel Young home, like changed my life. Like I, I came up under black excellence for real. And it, it like. What is that? Not to cut you off. What does that feel like to have, you know, people around you see something in you that know, like you need to do it, whether it's. You know, the pageant, oh, she's not a pageant girl, but like SGA. No, you need to do that. Like, what does that feel like to have people see kind of the traits in you? Does that give you a, a does it give you a high? Because you already know in yourself, but or a, just another added kind of pressure on you to push. Like, no, how it's does pressure. It, it's extremely overwhelming. And that's why I'm learning. Like earlier, I literally said, like, I'm working on like not what people say I should do. But in this season, I say like those are people used by God. But there's been other things where I've stretched myself thin, even in those seasons. I should have been saying no and focusing directly in on this, this and this. So I know I did like miss out on opportunity or just more intentional refinement because we did a lot. Okay, like that year on SGA was absolutely amazing. And I smile and I say it like that because I even look back now like, dang, like we were so locked in like. We caused a movement on campus that united the two sides. You had the hood and then you had the, I say like, not the nerds, but the the normal campus kids. Like, you know, because my school had both. 
And all of us were all had, even the normal ones had these experiences. So we were just able to combine and do a lot of healing. It was so crazy. We were like, we need fun. We need healing. Students need outlets. They need things to do. They need opportunity. And I would say, looking back, you see the results of that with those classes that were behind us with them focusing in on academics and, you know, I'm like, you know, just certain things that we normalize. We normalize getting good grades. Like we normalize just things that a lot of people probably didn't think that they could do. But at that point, I was like at a comeback moment because I got a 2.0 like that semester after my grandmother passed, which I had never got anything like that at Central. I was just like very, very low. And I came back like three, five, three, six, both semesters, like as SGA, like just swinging, like had to swing because I felt like, again, if I didn't, I was going to stay stuck there. And it gave me something to do, which can be bad. You know, it can be viewed negatively, like to work, 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 work. And that's why now in my 20s, I've learned to rest, 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 rest. That work doesn't have to be so like push and go. Like I was in college with a schedule like this. Like I was used to the even as in high school with a schedule like this. Like I worked full time as well. Like I worked literally like almost 28 hour weekends and then came back and did ROTC and practice all over again every week. Plus, you know, maintaining grace. So that was ingrained in me. And I, that's why I say, I know I definitely lost out on being a child. And, you know, I, I did didn't. Did you ever, this is just me speaking. Did you ever work, 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 come to a point of, okay, literally I can't like a breaking point to where, you know, everything fell in front of you, like on your face, like not, speaking just to your grandmother's passing, but in your life where you see this work, 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 because to this point, you work, 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 you achieve JROTC, you go work, work, work in college. You're this figure that people love. You work, work, work. It's been playing out for you. But have you ever come to a point where, you know, the rubber meets the road and you, literally you can't? Absolutely. Um, that happened my senior year of college. I was burnt out. I didn't have a position. And that was a year like everybody, you know, the crowd was like, okay, the next thing is like the fact that I was not a Miss Central State University. Sometimes I kick myself, but I, that's my flesh kicking me, but my spirit knows that's not what I needed. And sometimes one of the most humble things you can do as a leader is move to the side to allow others opportunity and to allow shifts to happen, like, and to allow for transition to actually occur. But it gave me, I was just trying to figure out what was next. Like I interviewed with like so many amazing companies my senior year and I just couldn't find where I fit. And when I was getting those no's, it was tearing me up. But I know I was getting those no's out of disobedience because I knew the fall semester of my senior year that I wanted to teach. And when I first said it, everybody was like, because I had been saying and preparing like really to go to law school or you know, I just didn't know or like maybe just see where all of these Thurgood Marshall interviews like I made it to the final round with Microsoft, which is very like, you know, I made it to the final round with Honda of America. I made it to the final round with the top government agency like on some super spy like just just like I said, I've been at some crazy tables and I won't even say in all those experiences I was getting no's. But in some of them, I think I had became so like. Not cocky, but like, oh, yeah, I deserve this, even though I already knew what I wanted to do. And that's why I think a lot of those no's had started to come because um, 
you have to be very careful when you're gifted to stay humble, to stay, to stay, because life will humble you and disobedience will leave you in the mouth, the belly of the whale. Like, and that's literally what happened. I ended up working for Lexus Nexus because I just felt like I had to prove I can do this corporate thing, though I really did corporate with my internships. Like, they're impressive people that, you know, just little things. But in my mind, I felt like I had to make this work. And it was not working. It was draining me. I was so, like I said, that's that season of depression. Then I had that accident, and I literally could not work there anymore. I couldn't look at screens. Like, going there used to literally make me throw up, like, from anxiety and just different things like I could not do then. And it wasn't even a toxic environment. It's just like, I know now I don't give everything to the devil. Like, nah, I was being put through the ringer because of my disobedience. Like in the season, I quit two weeks before COVID started when they sent everybody home. Like I was like, no, I got to stop. I'm about to go teach. Like I'm about to, you know, just leave Ohio. I'm going to go back to Texas. And it took me, I moved in August. And like, that's when I felt like I really started to heal. And it was still dark though. It was still like very step by step, breath by breath. So when I won teacher of the year that first year, like that's the first time I wasn't grinding out of spite. It was the first time like I'm having fun with what I do. Take me to that day because when you, when you go and something that you did say there, you kind of. When you're gifted, you got to be careful because, again, like your mind bully, the devil tries to use you either to become arrogant in your gift or to feel inadequate. In an earlier age, because of the things that you went through, you felt inadequate and then you worked, you worked, you worked, you became this person. And now he's trying to use it in a different way, like to be arrogant. And you kind of have to turn that dial and, and, and kind of, you know, keep straight on your path when you did kind of lock in and, and become obedient and be a teacher. This is honestly, I'm fascinated by young teachers because it's, it's so interesting. They just came from this place and it's so something's on their heart burning for them to jump in and go back to the place that, you know, they came from and teach and serve. I'm going to ask you that. Why, why is that so important? But I do want to speak to that day that you did get CMS teacher of the year in 2021 Kind of walk me through that day, a culmination of everything that you've been through, knowing that you took this path and and was disobedient to your point, And now you came back and you're finally doing the thing that God told you to do and you're rewarded and you got that achievement for it. Take me to that day. What did that feel like? It was like even when the nominations came out, like just in the little email to vote, I was like, whoa, what? Me? Like, okay. Like, I mean, I knew that I was, I was just being myself though. It's the first job where you just exist. And that's when you know you're starting to walk in purpose. You don't, it's not performative. It's not, you start, and purpose sometimes could be different than being used in like as a vessel. God may still use you in seasons, but like when you start walking in the thing that he put you on this earth to do, it shifts. Something shifts in you. And I was in a very low place though, mentally, like that's when I had the pill bottle. Like that was the season I was enduring that. So it was just like, and I was, I wasn't certified. I had failed the test. So I felt like, oh my gosh, like I'm not built for this. And right when I really started to feel like that was when the award came. So for me, it was like a kiss on my cheek. Like, and it was very hard for me to accept because I felt like I hadn't performed for it. Like I hadn't worked for it at first. And then as God, even like 
the the year went by, he just started showing me, you know, and I see the fruits of these relationships and these dynamics and, you know, of some of the, just the style of my teaching. And I just think that it's me existing, but it's really different. And it, it's really something that people want to see, which I, which led me to like, even do TikTok. Like, I'm not a fan of that. Like, you said something I, I there. Like, you said something there. Sorry, not to cut you off. You said something there that literally is it, it it hits the nail on the head. You felt like you could finally be yourself. And it's like it it's funny. Um and for lack of better words, not even funny, but it's interesting, kind of that felt like one in and you could finally be yourself before that. You felt like you couldn't. So you suppress, you suppress, you suppress and suppressing your emotions and not being able to express yourself does lead to depression and those type of things. And now that you see yourself becoming your coach, your, your teaching style, expressing yourself using TikTok and different things that we'll get into to become yourself and to be, you know, express yourself in the confines of your work. You get teacher of the year. Like basically you get an accolade for being Christian. I think, I, I don't know. I just, it's so interesting. And it's so far that not only that you serve in a classroom that is so important you, for you to give back in that way, but on TikTok, like you said, I think it's so cool that Miss Johnson's then you meet kids where they're at and how they like to yeah. be teached on TikTok. Why, why is that so important for you to do? Um, honestly, it's something that it's like I knew I could do. Like nothing on TikTok is new for how I teach. So those were the things I was doing to win teacher of the year. Like, so it's not like anything is new to my teaching style. There is no kid that had me that didn't experience what are some that of those teacher. Things? Just the freestyling, the the motivation Mondays, the you know, I, I'm very realistic with how I talk to my kids. I'm very transparent. Um, because I teach college and career readiness. Like, and when you really think about that. Teaching sixth graders about SAT and deadlines and stuff. Yeah, that's good. That's memorization stuff. That's stuff that you learn over and over again in your, as you go through education. But I got to get you to believe in yourself. I have to get you to believe that you can be a doctor or whatever it is that you're purposed here to do. So that kind of became my mission, you know, like to make sure that the kids that leave my class, they know that they can and they have a plan, even if it's not like, super locked in. They know the things that they need to do and they know how to push themselves forward. You know, what does that feel like though? Because again, when you get on Miss Johnson's den on, on TikTok, she rapping, like it's hard, like enthusiastic motivation Mondays. And literally like it, it gives you a sense of, okay, this person's really pouring into people. Like it, it energizes you. But saying to that, I'm literally thinking about myself when I have a podcast episode or something and, and you know, it's coming off as giving life, giving life, giving life. That's great. But you know you and I know me. And when we do have those times where, you know, maybe it is the time where you're getting the award and you still have the pill bottle and you're going through that time. It's almost like, am I lying on this platform? Like, do you ever that internal yeah, battle? That's called, um, that's, that is, um, what is it? Oh, it's a, it's actually a, like a, a, a thing for it. It's a name for it. Um, trying to think. Imposter syndrome. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's something that comes with the territory of being great. 
at a certain level when you're called to great. Because some people like there are a lot of great people. And I'm not saying this in the cock like you have it. There are some people, though, that have a very special it factor, a very and it, it really is rooted. In, you talk to them. It's rooted in God, like it's rooted in, you know, the process of getting there. But like. Just. Humbling yourself enough to to do what you don't want to do. That's what I'm doing. Like, it's not always easy. And in those moments, it's like, I was like, okay, I can do this. So let me keep growing in this. It gave me the motivation to pass those tests. It gave me the motivation, you know, to keep branching out and teaching and to keep using my voice and to not quit something because it was hard. Because that's what happens when a lot of people, they don't talk about that. The, the person that has had a lot of success when you go through seasons of not being successful, and that's why I'm so glad I went through those no's, that no season, that season of doing what I knew I didn't need to because I know what it feels like now. And I know what it feels like to be out of purpose. And you feel depressed. You feel sad. You feel anxious because you're not doing what you are literally genetically designed to do. And But, but how do you how do you get to that point um, and, and find that what you're genetically made to do? Um, a lot of people listening to this and I always honestly, I care about them, but I care about your story, but you're such a light and a leader. And honestly, I see similarities in you and, and me. Like, so I'm oh, like, yeah. okay, she's speaking to the people. So if you're giving a message to somebody that, you know, doesn't know what God's called them to do, how do they go about finding that? You got to know God. Like you have to, this year in like the way I overcame my depression, honestly was hitting my knees. I did therapy like I'm in therapy now. Like therapy is a tool, but it's not a, it's only going to work if you do the work. So you can sit on a couch and I'm not saying that it's bad. Like just know when you go start this process, it's work. That's why they say faith without works is dead and people think it's the action. No, it's the internal transformation that's hard. And somebody just said that to me last night, like at 2 a.m. in a moment where I was struggling, you know, because this walk is not easy. Giving up things that you love to do, giving up. But when you give up, like I know now, like, for instance, I'm not a big drinker anymore. I think the last time I got really, really turned, I actually was with Norris. Yeah. He was not <laughs> drinking. Shout out to Norris, y'all. <laughs> but um, we were all out and I left there like it's like I did it differently, but I left like I didn't have to. You know, because what it does is it clouds you. And a lot of us, we know religion, but we don't know God. and. You have to spend that time. You got to get in your quiet time. You got to pray. Like I I have a wall with just things that God has revealed to me. And this is even post my recent car accident, you know, like learning to trust him, learning to listen, learning to listen to when he's speaking to you or using people to speak to you or when you're confused, hitting your knees and pray. Because as you develop the relationship, it's like you become a mirror image of God. People run around talking about we're made in his image, made in, but you, it takes work and refinement to function in. Like it takes a relationship. And once you have that relationship, like the word starts to read you back. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will send you messages and send you verses and people and to just let you know that he is with you and he is present. Like I hear the. I hear the audible voice of God I've heard before, but everybody may not. 
Like if you look throughout the Bible, God communicates in all of these different ways. So I also you got to read the Bible to even know how he communicates. This is going to be a weird question because everything that you're doing right now is beautiful and is why I love your personality, who you are and everything that you've been through. Um, but you did say the thing that you change about yourself is to see yourself as God sees you and to encourage and love myself with the same zeal as you do for yeah. others. Literally. So like, what does that look like? How you're doing it now? You're, you're showing that Christian, that love, that push and that push, that push. What does that look like in the practical steps to do that for yourself? Like after you go through a car accident and after you've come through these different things and how do you do that for that Christian in that time of looking at the bottle and, and wanting to turn that that way? Like, how do you step into that? And even, you know, faith without works is dead. How do you, okay, today was a bad day. Th the next day was a bad day. This is a good day. Like how with the imbalance, the influx of life, how do you reconnect and keep encouraging yourself and seeing yourself through that lens? I feel like I didn't really start to not be emotionally like, I used to be an emotional, like, tornado. Like, anything could move me. Like, and really 2021 was when I think the word for Transformation Church was anchored. And that's really when it started. It might be 20, no, 2021. When I started, like, in this room, like, just spending time with God, like, spending time by myself, like, and I was still doing things. I was still, like, you know, dealing with sexual feelings and, you know, dealing with people I probably shouldn't have talked to. Like, cause sometimes you can, you can have people that are supposed to be in your life for your life. But if you don't understand your trauma, you'll misuse people that you were supposed to heal. And that's something that I take credit and accountability for, which is why I don't get on platforms and bash people because I, I now God might have given me more hindsight on what that was supposed to look like. If I had honored, you know, the, the way or the things that he was telling me, but that alone time. And I journaled a lot. I cried a lot. Like I painted. I started to spend time by myself, which was very different because I'm such a natural caretaker. But also isolation can be addicting. So that's where I am now, like learning to rebranch out because I hit such a safe place. And like now I'm like, OK, but I only want to rebranch out on a thing God wants me to do because that's all he's given me the strength for. Like I literally just pray for strength for today. And sometimes that may look like there are times at work I get anxious. That's what they don't see on TikTok. Like I'm overwhelmed. Like every day there are things that when you are the, that person, there are things that are reported to me. There are things that I have to deal with. There are things that my kids experience that trigger things in me that I'm working through right now. So that's also when you know that you are in the right place because you're healing where you're growing. And, but there are times where I have to take that step back. I have to come home and breathe. I have to, you know, uh, spend time or like, I feel like God always sends my sister, which is every time, like say it just pops up, like literally she'll just pop up. And uh, now that she's in Houston, it's like, okay, to give me a sense of community. And like, that's another thing that's important, finding the right community. Cause I shed so many people, not even in a negative way, but just like we were bonded on things that I didn't want to carry anymore. We were bonded on experiences that I didn't want to center my identity around anymore. And that's painful. Yeah. How hard is it being around those people to where you're uh, you're in the season where you're changing, your heart is changing and the things that you're trying to lock in on 
like you said, isolation can get addicting. And I, I totally resonate with that where you're building, you're growing, God's revealing things to you. You're growing in your faith. And then you have these friends that kind of, you know, send messages, say these different things. And then you're kind of, you're on that path of almost going that way. But then it's like a realization of, wait, these life experiences that you've uniquely experienced for yourself. Yes, God made me a light and I'm growing in him, but it's not on me to stay isolated. It's on me to be the light to those other groups. So it's building yourself, building yourself to where, okay, I can talk to them, but we not going to be on that. I can change them too. I could, you know, serve them too in the way that they need it. I don't know. Do you ever have like a push and pull of, you know, the old Christian, this Christian, like, how do you kind of circle and surface yourself back in, you know, who he's called you to be? I know I'm asking a bunch of questions, but for me, no, that's something. Fine, but for- it's, it's worship for me. It's worship. Like, that's what I did when I was depressed. I just used to listen to Chandler Moore and nothing else over and over. It's this live version of certain songs that I used to just let play over and over. That Maverick City volume two literally kept me alive the first time in 2019. So when I started to feel that way again, I went back to it. And I remember there was even a moment, me and you had this huge debate <laughs> about like, Cause you was like, Kristen, there's more out there. Like this music is so nice. And I'm not going to say the things that were like, I'm like, I'm cool. But, um, I listen to everything now, everything. It's probably not a gospel song that somebody can play that I don't know. And I'm not saying that like boasting, but that's my thing. Like I worship. And it's so weird. Cause I'm not a crybaby. I don't cry in public. It takes me a lot to even like show emotion. But when I get in that setting, like when I get around other worshipers, like I'm like bawling my face out. Like I'm, I'm that little girl. Like I'm able to connect with her and see her and hug her and comfort her and like let her know that she can keep going. You know, God is there. Jesus, Jesus is there. So like that's where I find my peace right now. Like I'll come home and like God may lead me to a certain book, like pick that one up tonight. And so I'm just, I just try to be obedient in the little things. Like if God tells me to pull over my car and read a verse, I'm going to do it. If he tells me to call such and such, I'm going to do it. If he tells me not to talk to such and such that day, I'm going to do it. Because a lot of those things we ignore. And it's not intuition because intuition is based in emotions. I've outgrown my intuition. I don't I don't lean on my intuition. I'm growing to not lean on my intuition. That's like trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. So that intuition, that's your own understanding. That's what we can see. That's what we can feel. So I don't want to even be there, but I go to God like, All right, dad, like, I feel angry. This sucks. Like, I don't like this or I do like this or, all right, I want to do this. Like, but I'm trying to stay locked in here. So I need you to help me. Like, I remember when we, I rescheduled and I said, like, I was tempted. Like, now it's like certain temptations comes up. Oh, here's your period, girl. Go lay down. Like, you're done. Like, like, and, but I appreciate it because I know it's like, it's my father loving me the way that I need to be loved because I'm the type of person I, I'll do what I want to do. You're so, like, hey, bro, you're so honest and it's fire. Like everything you just said, I want to be like, ah, let's go. <laughs> like when you said lean out on your own understanding, that's literally what I was thinking. Like I was like, ah, she's in it. Like, no. Nah, so everything that you've, you've showcased in your story, your light, your love, I, I appreciate it. I always end this podcast with overcoming that negative voice and the practical steps that you do work to do so. So if I'm in a tough time and I'm behind your eyes 
when I'm in that tough time, I'm going through school stuff, uh, relationship stuff, family stuff, and that negative voice is trying to bring me down, overcoming your mind bully. How do you work through that negative voice? I lay at the feet of Jesus. And it might sound cliche. It might sound, but that's literally what I've learned to do. And I've tried a lot of things to heal. Like, that is a whole nother episode or another, you know, but I've tried many things, but the safest, the step-by-step that he leads me in. And it's new for me because I grew up not trusting people. So I understand the person that does not trust. Like there was a moment, God, like the Brent Fias, he told me I could trust you. That's my, that used to be like one of my favorite songs. Like I used to always play it. And one time I'm playing it and like, I heard God so clear, like, What if I sung this song to you with the zeal that you sing it? So now it's a gospel song to me. It's a song that I don't want to hear because it's not like don't want to hear, but like there's so much I want to talk about. Like when you break down the words, but I don't got no one to talk to. Like I'm trying to work it out, but it always falls through because you have to trust. You have to let go. And that's why I said at the feet of you have to surrender how you feel, like surrender though and be real with God about it. Like, God knew I wanted to die. Like I didn't, I didn't try to hide that from God. Though I was hiding it from society. It's something me and God was locked in on. Like you, I, I, I was expressing it to him because I had tried expressing it to the world and I wasn't getting what I needed. It's always been him to, to be the actual one to pull me out. So that's what I would say is really the most practical, like, and And a more like, I guess, earthly step, you got to find community. You have to get into therapy if you need it. And it took me a while to get back in, like in the formal way, like every every week, the same person, you know, like because I was just sporadic because sometimes we'll we'll learn so much, but you need to go back so you can reapply that knowledge. It's nothing wrong with fine tuning, like and being honest and transparent, like. I kick myself that nobody knew about the bottle because somebody should have known. And that's what I think is also very practical. Like, I mean, no, I don't. I take that back. I was very practical and honest with my roommate, but maybe not to how deep it was. But he knew like, okay, it could be touch and go. Like, you know, like I was honest about that. But you just have to be. My grandfather gave me something actually. When I first started going through in 2019, like when it all started to unravel, he said, you have to separate yourself from some things. You have to situate yourself where God is telling you, whether it be in that moment, whether it be a restroom, whether and this could be so practical, like separate yourself from the argument, from the work stress, from the computer, from it doesn't have to be like big or monumental. Separate, situate, and then you got to saturate yourself in the word. Like prayer is not, and it's something that I just now started, like the, the, the weight of what he said just is starting to hit me mm. like over this past year. Like, cause that's really what it takes. Separate, situate, saturate, like separate, situate, saturate, situate, saturate. And it, in a moment, what can that look like? If I'm like, when I'm having an anxiety attack, that's how I know now. Like I had my first one in months, actually, like two weeks ago, because I'm very honest. And 
I know now that it was a real moment because I was doing all of my coping mechanisms and I could not calm. But then when I went and talked about it, there was a real trigger underlying that I had not faced it or that I had not, you know, opened up about. Because also when you're what, what, was that, impact, what was that trigger that you hadn't opened up about? Um, Just like. I can't go into details, actually, due to like, you Fine. know, yeah. the school, but I just feel like. I wanted to be a voice and I couldn't. And that's all I can say. Um, And how did you work through that? Because, you know, you're so expressive and to everything that we've said and we spoke on kind of that would be tough to kind of work past. So how do you kind of be yourself, be expressive and kind of actually be the conduit for change? That's what I'm learning. And that's what I'm learning at the feet of Jesus. Like, I come home, I open my eyes and I read the word. I go to sleep and I read the word. I have these devotionals. They're not just book holders. Like, yeah. I open them and I read them. Like, uh, Prayers That Route Demons was one of the most powerful books. And I thought that it would be crazy, like, for my healing process because not to go too deep, but also that's what I mean, be at the feet of Jesus, because Jesus taught spiritual warfare hand in hand. Like we there is literally an adversary coming for you. There are generation. And it's so crazy. Our generation says I'm fighting demons. But when somebody starts to talk about how to fight them with the right way, everybody gets all weird and acts like it doesn't exist. Like, no, it exists. And there are spirits that are attacking. And when I learn how to name them and name the things that or maybe hitting my school or hitting the young people and like declaring decree and bind and loose. Hey, she's speaking. Hey, nah, I wish I could clap. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You learn how to pray and God placed somebody in my life almost in the season. And like, now I know I'm branching out a little bit from that, but to teach me that Mm. to like, like, to, all right, you need to get this. If this how you feel, you need to. And sometimes the way that they respond, I'm like, ugh, because it's so like practical and it's I, so I like. I think I have a clue of who that somebody is, but who's that somebody? You don't have a clue of who that somebody a, is. That's crazy. It's a male. You might though. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think you have a, I don't know, Norris. You know me. I think you told me. Oh, we did talk about okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But honestly, yeah, Kristen, yeah. I I'm so I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. Everything that you shared, you know, the enthusiasm, the energy, the life, the love, like you've had and lived to this point. Obviously, you're young, but a rich life and you're so, you know, wise on the things that you want to get to and how to serve and how to pour into other people. So I think this would benefit not only a lot of people, but it did benefit and help me out. So Again, thank you so much for being on the Mind Believe Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so proud of you too, Norris. Like, this is so dope to see how it evolved from that one conversation. And actually, like, you can cut this. Like, I'm not trying to drop anything, but I'll be starting my own, which I think I share with you. Like, so it's just so encouraging, like, to watch something go from seed to seedling to grow. And now it's sprouting. Like, even if you don't think you're encouraging people like you are to just Get out and use your voice. Girl, and, I'm leaving this know, in. What is your podcast called? What, what are you talking about? This is for gonna, you. Not, are you good? Yeah, but it's not going to be like, I haven't started everything yet, but it is going to be called um, The Hell Robbers Club. So I will drop that. Um, that is the, the next thing that God is leading me. And of course, you know, I got my brand, but that up. Uh,
the next thing, that's the next big thing where God is leading me. The TikTok is Miss Johnson Dan underscore, right? Yes, the TikTok is underscore Miss okay. Johnson's Dan. Um, the Hell Robbers Club, I will send that to Norris to post once it is Got ready. To. But this is yeah, I definitely will. Um, but I have already made an Instagram for it, but it doesn't it has no picture, but it's coming. It's coming. Like start of the year. I'm just the type of person right now I don't want to rush anything. So I, I wanna make sure that I am prepared for what God is doing, but I don't feel like that's me overstepping or overspeaking. That is coming. Um, we're robbing hell, Satan's worst nightmare. Like Duh. um Love. that's the yeah, Love. that's the the gimmick of it to free, because there's so many people that need to be free. And, and you. as I'm learning how to I feel like the best way I can teach is as you actively learn. So that's why I want to love, love. Well, again, start it now. Kristen, thank you so much um, for being on this thank podcast. You. Thank you, Norrence. I'll clap for us because you'll think you messed up. Thank you so much for listening to this very episode. If you like this content, you like what we're building here at Mind Bully Podcast, do me a favor. Leave a rating and review. It does wonders for this podcast. Peace and Smooches and love. Hey, Genix, you going off?